What a blessing. How many of you brought your Bible with you today? Will you hold up the Bible? All over the building now. It's 1032. I know what time it is. We got a big old clock back there on the wall. And uh, so uh, if you'll join me, I want you to take your Bible and join me in Genesis chapter 45 this morning. Genesis chapter 45. If you'll leave your Bibles open here, we're going to cover chapter 45, chapter 46, and maybe a little bit over in chapter 50. And you say, oh, brother, we're going to be here. No, we're not. And we're not. You know why? Because I said we would not and so we're not going to be here a long time, but if you'll just uh, follow me along here for just a minute, I want to give you a thought from the Word of God. Genesis chapter number 45. Now, I have an old Schofield Bible. That's page 63 or the first book of the Bible, chapter 45, and I'll read here in just a moment. All right? If you're there, would you say amen? amen. All right, I want you to look this way, if you will. What I, you know, just about the time you think you've heard everything there is to hear, that you have been shocked beyond amazement, something else comes along that just causes you just, just to, to, to shake your head. And what I'm about to tell you is a true story. And I tell you that because when I get through with the story, it, it is an unbelievably true story. So here it goes. This happened back on Father's Day of 1999. A man by the name of Ron Shannabarger jumped into the shower and told his wife, Amy, to go inside the little nursery there and to wake up their little seven-month-old boy whose name was Tyler. When Amy walked into the bedroom, she found little Tyler. He was face down in his crib. He was stiff and he was cold. And when she found him like that, she let out this blood-curdling scream. Well, Ron, her husband, rushed in there and told her to quickly dial 911. Well, to make a long story short, the paramedics came after the doctor's examination, the autopsy. They found out that little Tyler, they, they surmised that he had died from SIDS, Sudden Infant Death Syndrome, and they buried little Tyler four days later. Hours after the funeral was over, Amy, the mother, sat in her living room sobbing uncontrollably. She was racked with guilt thinking to herself, I should have checked on that baby more during the night. The night before Father's Day, she had come home from work totally exhausted. Ron had already put little Tyler in the bed, so she went to bed and went to sleep immediately. And as she sat there on the couch weeping, Ron, her husband, sat down and told her this unbelievable story. As that precious little seven-month-old baby boy was playing with his feet in his, in his little crib, Ron, the daddy, slipped in there with a sheet of plastic and wrapped it around little Tyler's face. He then went and sat down at the kitchen table and ate supper, brushed his teeth and came back in to find little Tyler already dead. He then removed the plastic wrap, turned the baby onto his stomach, pulled the covers up, switched the light off, and went to bed. Normally, he would always be the one to go in and wake up little Tyler, but that morning, that Father's Day morning, he asked his wife Amy to do it because he purposefully wanted her to find, be the one to find and discover little Tyler's body. With a look of horror, as he told her this story, she, in shock, looked at her husband and said, But why? And he looked back at her and he said, Now we're even. She said, even? Even for what? 
Ron then told her that he had never forgiven her for refusing to cut an ocean cruise ship, uh, uh, cruise short that she had taken with her parents to come home and be with him at the death of his father. He told her when she didn't come home off that cruise, when his daddy died, that he decided at that point that he would marry her, have a child with her, and then he would kill the little child. Now, left behind in the wreckage and the carnage of that incident is a dead little seven-month-old boy, a broken marriage, a shattered wife and mother, and a 49-year prison sentence for a husband and a father. Unbelievable. True story. And all of that story happened because of just one word, the word bitterness. And you know, even though bitter people do hurt other people, nobody is hurt more through bitterness than the person who is bitter. I read this week, someone once said this, uh, bitterness is like this. Bitterness is like drinking poison yourself and then sitting there and waiting for the other person to die. I wonder this morning, if I had buckets to pass out in this congregation, buckets for bitterness... I wonder if we would run out of buckets this morning as we tried to pass them all out here in this church. Because, you know, churches are filled with bitter people. Maybe there's some people in this room this morning that is bitter toward God because of some kind of a tragedy that happened in your life and you blame God for the tragedy. Maybe you're bitter this morning toward a boss who unjustly fired you. Maybe your bitterness is pointed toward a spouse who cheated on you or else walked out on you for somebody else. Maybe your bitterness is toward a business partner that took financial advantage of you. Or maybe you're bitter toward a relative or a friend who physically or maybe sexually abused you. Or maybe you're bitter toward a parent whom you feel like did not spend enough time with you. There are empty seats in every church today because of people who are so bitter toward the church because of some kind of a bad experience and they're so bitter they'll never, ever come back to church again because of their bitterness. Let me, let me define business, uh, bitterness this way. Bitterness is a harbored hurt that is hidden in the heart. Somebody does you wrong you tuck it away in your heart. You won't let go of it. You harbor it there. And that hurt escalates. That hurt begins to get infected. And it, and it eventually turns into something called bitterness. I personally believe that bitterness is the most dangerous emotion that a person can ever have. And I'll tell you why. Because bitterness destroys its own container. I've been the pastor here, uh, been here for 22 years, pastoring now for probably 20, 21 years of that time, and you've heard me say numerous times around here this statement. Bitterness always does more harm to the vessel in which it's stored than on the object which it's poured. Bitterness always does more harm to the person who's bitter than on the person that they're bitter against. The only antidote for bitterness is forgiveness. Now I want to say that one more time because the only cure 
for bitterness is forgiveness. Now, when I come this morning thinking about the subject of bitterness, I, I begin to think about, you know, people in the Bible who had every right to be bitter, but instead chose, to, to, uh, chose forgiveness. And obviously the first person that pa passed into my mind, came into my mind, was the Lord Jesus. If there's ever anybody in this world that had a right to be bitter, it was Jesus. He came into this world to demonstrate love, a kind of love this world absolutely knew nothing about. But how did we treat him? I said we because we were guilty in the death of the Lord Jesus. How did we treat him? Well, we treated him worse than a criminal. We nailed him to a cross. We spat upon him. We beat him to a pulp. And then the Lord Jesus, while in excruciating pain under the weight of our sin, separated for the very first time from his Father forever in his life, looked over that angry mob, and then Jesus said this, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If there's ever been an example of anybody in the Bible that had a right to be bitter, but instead chose forgiveness... It was the Lord Jesus. But I knew what you would think if I chose Jesus to preach about. You would think, but wait a minute, preacher, he's the Son of God. Preacher, that he's God. He's not like me, and I'm not like him. There's no way that I could, I could go through what he went through and choose forgiveness because I'm not God. Well, then I thought about this. Then let's look at somebody in the Bible that was just a mere human being just like me and you. A man who was treated worse uh, than most people can ever even dream to be treated, and yet he chose forgiveness over bitterness. I'm speaking about this man by the name of Joseph. You see, if there was ever a man in our Bible outside of the Lord Jesus who had every right, legal right to be bitter, it would be old Joseph. Joseph, if you know his story, could have been bitter, so bitter, and every one of us who know the story would say, justifiably so. Oh, Joseph could have been bitter toward God. Listen to me now. He could have been bitter toward God. You know why? His mama died when he was just a boy, and he was raised not by one stepmom, but by three stepmoms that hated him and wanted nothing to do with him. Oh, Joseph could have been bitter toward God because of his mother's death. Joseph could have been bitter toward his family. He had ten brothers all older than him that hated him with a passion. And not only hated him, but wanted him dead and would have killed him themselves had they not been stopped by the oldest brother. His own brothers hated him, treated him unmercifully. He could have been bitter at God. He could have been bitter at family. He could have been bitter at others. We remember the story of the lady, the Potiphar's wife, who accused Joseph, though he had nothing to do with this, but accused him of trying to sexually assault him when in reality he never came near her. And then because of her lying accusations, he spent two full years of his life incarcerated in prison for a crime he didn't commit. He could have been bitter at God. He could have been bitter at family. He could have been bitter at others. He could have been bitter at a friend. Because we know the story of how Joseph befriended a butler while he was there in jail. And then Joseph, 
upon the butler's release, said, hey, would you please tell Pharaoh about me? I'm innocent, and yet that man departed from that prison house and never even mentioned his innocence in the presence of Pharaoh. I'm here to tell you, he could have been bitter at his friends. I think everybody in this room who knows his story can honestly agree with me when I say, old Joseph could have been bitter at God, he could have been bitter at life, he could have been bitter at family, he could have been bitter at foes, he could have been bitter at friends, he could have been bitter at all of that, and we would have understood if he'd have crawled up in a shell and never ever had anything to do with anybody again, we would all have said, I get it. But here's an old boy that chose, instead of dying in bitterness, he chose to live in forgiveness. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to show you three things that Joseph did with his hurt. Now, we got to know, you got to know he's hurt. I mean, think about the circumstances of his life, all that I've just told you. Think about uh, the, the, the grief and the heartache and the hurt and the mistreatment and the brutality that he's been through in life, the lying, all of that. You've got to know Joseph is hurt, but Joseph chose not to let that hurt stay harbored in his heart. And he chose forgiveness over bitterness. Can I show you three things? Look at our text this morning. I want to show you three things that Joseph did with his hurt. All right? Joseph did with his hurt. Now, in chapter 45, Joseph's brothers. Now, there are ten of those boys. I'm not going to try to name them all. Reuben, Simeon, Gad, Levi, Nephtali, Asher. I mean, there's ten of those older brothers... And they've all treated Joseph uh, with, great, with great injustice. You talk about a young man who suffered wrongfully. It was old Joseph. You know the story how these brothers put him in a pit and they were going to kill him. Reuben stopped them. And instead of killing him, they said, hey, let's don't kill him, let's just sell him. And they brought him up out of the pit, sold him to a band of complete strangers for 20 pieces of silver, thinking... We'll never see him again. We're done with Joseph. And then remember they concocted that story. They took that coat off of him that his father had given him and they, and they shredded it and they dipped it in the blood of an animal and took it back and said, Daddy, we don't know what's happened to your boy, but here's what we found. The evidence seems to indicate your boy has been devoured by an evil beast. Remember the story? Now in chapter 45, unbeknownst to these brothers, Joseph has now been elevated to the second in command in all the land of Egypt. And by the way, there's a famine that's gripping the world at this particular time, and the only grocery store is in Egypt. And guess what? Joseph is the store manager of the grocery store. And if these ten boys are going to get enough corn to survive this famine, guess who they got to deal with? They have got to deal with Joseph. You think God don't have a sense of humor? They've got to go down there and buy corn from Joseph. Now, when they get down there, they don't recognize Joseph. They, he's changed over these 20 years. They don't recognize him, but he sure does remember them. And in chapter 45, if you'll look there at verse number 1, the Bible said in chapter 45, Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. So in other words, he, he's recognized his brothers, and he, and he cries, cause every man to go out from me, and there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known 
unto his brethren. And now jump down to verse number 4. Here's what Joseph says unto his brethren. These ten boys that have done him wrong, these ten boys that have sold him into slavery, these ten boys that have cost him 20 years of his life away from a father who thought the sun rose and set in him, these boys are standing there before Joseph. And the Bible said in verse number 4, And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And then he said this in verse 4, I am Joseph. Wouldn't you like to have been a fly, a fly on the wall in that room that day? When them boys realized the man they were dealing with was that boy that they sold into slavery. Now, how is Joseph going to respond to them? Well, I put this down. When you get hurt, number one, Joseph responded... Number one, by forgiving it. By forgiving it. Now look at this. Look down in this chapter. What did he do? Look down at verse number 15. Let me read it to you. Look, I want everybody, if you can, look at verse 15. Moreover, he killed all his brethren. Does your Bible say that? Now here's ten of them. It is in his power to get even. It is in his power, his ability to settle the score. It is in his, his, his opportunity, in his, in his hands, man, once and for all, he can let them boys know how bad they hurt him and he can retaliate. He can get revenge on that crowd. They're standing there. I am Joseph, your brother. And he could have called for a sword and one by one went down the line cutting their heads off, stabbing them in the, in the breath, whatever. But the Bible said in verse 15, he didn't do any of that. Verse 15 said this, look, moreover. What's the next word? He what? He kissed all of his brethren. You know what that seems to indicate to me? That instead of harboring that old bitterness in his heart, he chose rather to forgive it and let it go. He, he, he responded to all the hurt that he had been through in this walk of life by simply forgiving it. Can I say it like this? You know, what he could have done compared to what he did do was this. Joseph could have used their actions. He could have used their actions as a guillotine to punish them. He could have used their actions as a place of punishment. But instead, he used their actions as a platform for pardon. He chose to forgive it. He chose to forgive it. By the way, that's exactly what the Lord Jesus did when he was on the cross. Jesus could have used the wood on that cross and built a, a, built a noose, a, a, a platform to hang us all and to condemn us and consign us all to hell, but instead he chose to use that wood of the cross as a platform to provide forgiveness for anybody and everybody that would come to him. I'm telling you, he chose, number one, just to forgive it. Can I encourage you this morning? I don't know. You say, preacher, you don't know the hurt I've experienced. You know something? You're right. I don't. I don't know how you've been treated. I don't know how you've been lied upon. I, I don't know how deeply the dagger has been plunged into your heart. I get it. I don't know that. Somebody said, well, if you knew you have the audacity to stand up there and say, I ought to forgive somebody, and they ain't even come to me and ask me to forgive them. Let me say it like this. If you love you, you ought to forgive them because bitterness always does more harm 
to the object in which it's stored than on the object which it's poured. If you love you, you'll forgive them. We find Joseph, number one, forgiving it. Second of all, I want you to go over to chapter 46 now. This is a progression. Go over to chapter 46, same book, Genesis chapter 46. Not only do we find Joseph forgiving it, guess what? We find Joseph forgetting it. That's right. Look in chapter 46. Notice what happens. Something that maybe happened during that 20-year period that he's been down in the land of Egypt, one of the things that's happened is Joseph has met a woman and fallen in love and gotten married. In fact, if you look at chapter 46 and about verse number 20, the Bible said he's married a woman by the name of Ashenath. See that there in verse number 20? He has married a woman. So he's fallen in love. He's gotten married. He's down in the land of Egypt. He's second in command. He's got a wife, and her name is Ashenath. And then out of the natural process of the husband-wife relationship, according to verse number 20, two boys have been born into this family. Verse number 20 talks about a boy by the name of Manasseh, and another boy by the name of Ephraim. Now let me tell you something. When Joseph named these two boys, I want you to understand something. He just didn't reach up in the air and just grab a name or two. He didn't get on the Internet and Google popular names for boys at this particular time. Joseph chose especially and particularly the name that he wanted to name those two boys. But for instance, if you look there at verse number 20, he named the second born, he named him Ephraim, Write out beside of that, if you write in the Bible, write the word fruitfulness, because that's what Ephraim means. It means fruitfulness. In other words, Joseph said, Boy, God has turned things around in my life. At one time, I was back there in the land of Canaan. I had ten older brothers, three mean stepmoms. I was heading nowhere fast. I'm telling you, my life was a mess. But boy, God turned it around. And now, I'm fruitful. Yes, sir. I like the sound of that, fruitfulness. But did you notice before he ever had an Ephraim that first of all he had a Manasseh? You know what the name Manasseh means? If the name Ephraim means fruitfulness, the name Manasseh means forgetfulness. You see, before he could ever get to the place that he had a fruitfulness in life, he first of all had to have a forgetfulness in his life. You know what I'm trying to say? I'm trying to say this. He not only chose to forgive all the hurt and the wrong that had been done to him, he chose to forget it. He chose to the best of his ability just to put it away. Can I tell you this? Listen to this. There are two things you better keep handy when people do you wrong. Number one, a bad memory, and number two, a big cemetery. A bad memory. Choose to forget it. You say, but preacher, you don't understand. I can't hit the rewind button. I can't tape over it. I can't, I can't get that out. And I agree, we can't forget. But we can choose to put it behind us. We can choose to move on in life. If I were to mention this lady's name, her name is Clara Barton. Most of you probably won't recognize that name. But let me tell you who she was. She is the founder and the president of the United States chapter of the American Red Cross. So this lady, Clara Barton, is a lady who founded the Red Cross. And it is said of Clara Barton that she never, ever held a grudge. 
On one particular occasion, this lady that had been in her life formally, a friend formally, had come back to her once again and asked her for a favor. And one of her friends spoke up and said, Don't you remember? She was the one who did you so wrong years ago. And Clara Barton said, No. She said, I distinctly remember forgetting it. And can I tell you something? If you and I are ever going to have a fruitfulness in life, if we're going to have God's blessings on our life, if God is ever going to use us for His honor and for His glory, can I tell you what we've got to have? We've got to have a Manasseh first. We've got to have a forgetfulness. You see, Joseph, all the hurt that had come in his life, he forgave it. Come here, boys. I'm not going to kill you. I just want to kiss you. Come here, boys. Group hug. Come on in. It's so good to see y'all. I know, I know, you did me wrong, but can I tell you something? I've, I've, I've forgiven that years ago. Come here, boys. Let me tell you why. I just forgot it. I just forgot it. Amen. He forgave it. He forgot it. And then go with me over to chapter 50 and we're done. He forgave it. He forgot it. And then number three, we find old Joseph forsaking it. Now look in chapter 50. Let me tell you what's happened. At the start of this chapter, their daddy has died. So in the meantime, what's happened is that Joseph has moved his daddy and all of those brothers into the land of Egypt. Out of, the, out of the land of Canaan where the famine was, had, the, had the land and grips and people were starving to death. Wells had gone dry. There was no rain. The cows were out there and their bones were sticking through their sides. I mean, man, it was horrible. Joseph said, y'all come down here to Egypt. I'm going to take care of you. Oh, man. Wouldn't you like to be like Joseph? Hey, y'all come on down here in the land of Egypt. I'm going to take care of you. And the Bible said that he gave them the best of the land to live in. And for years, Jacob, those ten older brothers, those three stinking stepmamas, all of them lived down there in the best that Egypt had to offer. And then Daddy dies. Back in chapter 50, verse number 1, the Bible said, Old Joseph, uh, his daddy has now died. And right after that happened, look at verse 15, And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead... They said that Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us of the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sin, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the... You know what they're doing, man? They're going back rehearsing the whole matter again. Hey, Joseph, Daddy's dead. Daddy's gone, and maybe the only reason you've been being so kind to us is because of Daddy's sake, and now Daddy's gone. And we just want to tell you one more time how sorry we are for how we've treated you. We're so sorry. Please, please forgive us. Look down at verse 20, verse 21. Now therefore, Joseph says to them, Now therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them. And spake. What's the next word? Kindly. Here's, here's another opportunity. He's got to settle the score. Daddy will never know. He can get even with the whole crowd. And yet the Bible said, fellas, look, I told you. It's over with. It's done. It's forgotten. It's forgiven. 
Hey, I've, I've forsaken it. It's no longer a part of us. You meant it for evil. God was behind it, working everything out for good. I choose to forgive. And I'm going to tell you, tell you, tell you, all of us in here the same thing, but I want you to listen to me. We can either choose to die in bitterness or to live in forgiveness, but we can't do both. Somebody once said this, I want you to listen to this statement. Somebody once said this, the only way to live is as a forgiving person. And the only way to die is as a forgiven person. Yeah. The only way we can live is to be a forgiving person. By the way, can I tell you this? And you hear me and hear me well, but the Bible even seems to indicate that if we won't forgive others, God won't forgive us. So listen to me say this. If you want to hang on to your bitterness and you don't want to forgive, you better not never sin no more. Because you can't go to God and get forgiveness if you don't give forgiveness. I heard about these two monks. Listen, and I'm done. I heard about these two monks, and uh, they came to a river, and they were going to have to cross to get over to the other side. And, and it was deep, but they could wait across it. And uh, so they were, they were there. They got to the river, approached the river, and... Uh, <laughs> and uh, while they were there, they were thinking about it, you know, crossing the river, and they were kind of tying up their tunics to wade out across the river. Boy, there was a lady standing there. And a lady was also wanting to get across the river. And she was crying, and she said, I've got to get across. My baby is on the other side. I have got to get across this river. So those two monks, you know how you do, they held hands, each other's arms, and they made like a little seat. And they asked the lady to sit down in the seat, and those two monks carried that lady across that river and sat her down on the other side. She didn't even get a drop of water on her. They just carried her across the river and sat her down on the other side. Well, when they sat her down on the other side, she didn't say, thank you. She didn't say, kiss my foot. She didn't say, have a nice day. She didn't say nothing. She just took off, went about her business. Well, those two monks continued on their journey. And one of those monks said, man, my back's killing me. And the other old monk, he didn't say a thing. They went on a little bit farther. He said, man, I tell you, I don't know if I make this trip or not. My back, I'm about to die in my back. And that woman didn't even say thank you. The other man didn't say a thing. They went on a little bit farther. He said, I don't know, man, if I'm going to be able to walk any further. I, my back, I, my, I must have thrown my back out carrying that woman. She didn't even say thank you. The other guy didn't say a word. Finally, the guy that was doing all the complaining looked over at him and said, ain't you got nothing to say? That woman didn't even say thank you. And he said, your problem is, when I set her down, I set her down. You're still carrying her. And can I tell you something? The reason so many of us, spiritually, oh, man, I just don't know if I can do this or not. It's killing me. And they didn't even say thank you. The reason, you, you're trying to carry something that you ought to set down a long time ago, and you're still carrying it. No wonder you ain't got no strength. No wonder the, the Christian life is such a battle and a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a tug of war for you because you ought to just set it down and continue on the journey. So what I want to ask you to do this morning is this. Set it down. Move on. Bitterness will kill you. It will. It will kill you spiritually. 
and it can kill you physically. Ulcers. Not that Miss Nancy, she said high blood pressure. This has nothing to do with that. I want to say that right up front, but I'm just saying. Bitterness, ulcers, high blood pressure, stroke, heart attack. I wonder how many people die annually from heart attacks brought on by bitterness. Set it down and move on. Let's bow our heads for prayer.